Hello and welcome to the Healthy People's Club podcast brought to you by myself Celeste and my best friend Sarah. We aim to bring you a multitude of authentic, honest and educational conversations which will equip you with the tools to navigate your own well-being. Hello and welcome to the Healthy People's Club podcast. We are on season three, episode two, and as usual, I am joined by my co-host and my best friend, Celeste. Celeste, how are you? I am very well, thank you for asking. Super busy week in work, but very excited to be here and to be recording this podcast. How are you? I'm all good, thank you, and I'm really excited to introduce our guest today, which is the one and only Andrew Tracy. Andrew, welcome to the Healthy People's Club podcast. Hello, thank you very much for uh, having me on. It's uh, it's an absolute honour. Perfect. So um, I have followed, we have followed um, kind of Andrew's journey for a little while now via Instagram and other avenues. Um, I personally have gained so much inspiration from Andrew, um, kind of watching his training regimes and methodologies and kind of super inspired as well by his journey, kind of starting off in a small gym with like no previous experience uh, moving into the bigger gyms in London, um, going on to opening his own business in a totally different industry, but then always maintaining his passion for training and then using that passion to help others start or ignite their fitness journey. So I'm all about that, Andrew. So it does, yeah, I've always been following your story for a little while now. So thank you so much for joining us. And uh, th- thank you for uh, giving me the cliff notes there, because normally when people say, like, oh, you know, tell us a bit about yourself, it takes me about three hours to do what you just did in, in 40 seconds there. So thank you. Thank you very much for that. All right. So I've saved us a few minutes. Excellent. So I'm going to give you're going to do this much better than me in a moment, Andrew, but I'm very quickly just going to go through uh, all of your wonderful accolades. So um, Andrew has been in the health and fitness industry for over 17 years. He is the current men's health fitness editor researcher and writer, personal trainer, nutritionist, breath coach, and I've got to throw this in, fellow pizza lover. Am I correct? Absolutely. That should be at the top of the list. I feel like in terms of identifying characteristics, that's that's pretty up there for me. Yeah, I say fellow pizza lover because that is honestly my absolute go-to favourite food as well. And it's Friday night, so uh, no excuses. Yeah, that's got to happen. 100%. Uh, Andrew, thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Um, I'm really excited. Again, I've been following your fitness journey also, but more recently. So I'm looking forward to just learning more about you today um, and having this conversation. Is it possible for you to give us a little background on who you are, where you came from, and the most exciting things that you've worked on recently? Yeah, of course. Uh, I'll try and be sort of succinct. Um, the first thing I always start out by saying is I didn't play any team sports or wasn't sporting or athletic uh, at all growing up. Because I think that's that's like an easy assumption to make, I think, of, of people who are sort of who identify as fitnesses. But I did I did nothing like that. I, I wasn't raised on football, so I didn't play football. And I, I'm from a, a roughish place, so I wasn't posh enough to actually play rugby. Um, so... I didn't play any team sports. I was, I was very much into the sort of counterculture stuff, like the you know, skateboarding, skating, BMXing, running away from security guards, that sort of, that sort of sort of toe raggy type stuff. So I think I was probably, I was probably, if I'm being objective now, I was probably fairly athletic, um, but nothing sort of codified. I didn't really have any skills. I was good at climbing. So I was good at clambering over stuff and 
running away. Um, and then at 16, 16 or 17, I can't exactly remember, I took a job in a gym. Um, I had no interest whatsoever. It was just, I took a job in the gym for, for beer money, as you do at, at that age. And I really fell in love with it. It was a really, it was a smallish, but real bodybuilding style gym. This is obviously 17, 18 years ago now. And there, there, there wasn't the sort of proliferation of gyms and health clubs that there is now in the town I grew up in. And there was this gym and there was a large, uh, a large sports club, a health club. I think it was in a sports at the time and like a local leisure center. And there were two personal trainers, like a whole hundred thousand person town. There were two, like it was a very new thing. You had fitness instructors and there were two personal trainers. And I really fell in love with it. And I, it was such an incredible environment because it was, it was a real mixed bag in the morning. You'd get, you'd get a lot of um, uh, elderly, sort of elderly women coming in at eight o'clock. I'd be opening up for them and they'd just, you know, they'd go for a walk on the treadmill and, and do the Stepmaster. And I'd forget that the music would still be in the CD deck from last night. And it would be like Tim Westwood play, playlists, which are like really hardcore, loads of spell, uh, swearing and gun sounds. And I had to quickly turn those off for uh, Doris on the treadmill. And in the evening, it was sort of like all of the, the doorman like the bouncers and, and that that sort of crew from the from the you know the town i lived in so at 16 these were really great people to know and these were like i guess objectively these were like scary dudes these are like huge like meatheads for you know for just to use the term everyone can get on board with but they were so like so nice to me and it was just such a great not, i don't mean not i don't mean nice i mean they just like took me under their their wing and these were these are objectively like scary dudes and i was a 16 17 year old absolutely skinny as a rake i probably you know i was nine stone with with rocks in my pocket and soaking wet and they were just so cool to me and it was just such a great environment to begin learning and there, there were a ton of books there was always i just remember there'd been a load of books behind the counter on anatomy and physiology, you know, like Mel Sif super training, um, just lots of stuff on the principles and philosophies of programming, all the old Russian stuff, just tons and tons and tons. And you're there all day. So I just read it all. And I really probably from about the age of 14 was disinterested in learning. I did, I did okay at school. Like I did okay, but I did just enough just to make sure I did okay. I think I'm fortunate that I, I'm, I'm literate. <laughs> I, could, I could read and write. So I, I just I just sort of muddled through. But being in there, like really reignited my my passion for learning. And there was just this whole, I just always taken for granted that a body is a body is a body. And now I really wanted to learn about it and learn about how you can sharpen that axe and how the body can be improved and other people's. And very quickly in that environment, I, you know, did the things you do. I qualified as a, as a fitness instructor. I wasn't qualified as a personal trainer. And in the in the town I, I lived in, it was a very industrial town. So you, you sort of stayed there and there were like a dozen places you would go and get a job. Um, and, you know, maybe one day I would have been managing a warehouse or something. You know, that was just the general thing. Or we, we're just on the out. We were just on the outskirts of London. So you would you would get a job in town like that. Would, that was your options. Um, so it felt really normal for me to then go and work in gyms in in the city uh, which I did and I was I was young and super super egotistical and I, as you know as many of us are at that age so I didn't 
I found it very difficult to like fit into that environment. And I, you know, I thought things shouldn't be like this. And looking back now, being in these mega corporate environments was difficult for me. And I also think the people I looked up to in the industry at the time were very countercultural people anyway. Um, Mark Twight, Jim Jones, those sorts of people. So being in these corporate environments and being just like a total like egotistical edgelord. And, I, you know, it was, it, I just had this friction going on. I didn't, I didn't like, um, you know, I didn't like these sort of really, really corporate polished environments, but I, I stuck it out for a little while and then um, had some, had some big things going on in my personal life that after probably after probably three or four years of training people one-to-one full-time I, I wanted to have a little break from that and there, there were some other sort of instigating factors in my personal life and I thought right I'm gonna take um I'm gonna take like a short hiatus from training people luckily I had some really cool clients who I'd worked with in like previous gyms and when I'd left those gyms or I'd gone to work elsewhere um they had asked me to stay on and keep doing their programming for them. And oddly that this was a time when programming like didn't really exist. And I, I remember that other trainers in the, in one particular gym I worked at, other trainers would actively laugh because I would write sessions for my clients to do outside of our one-to-one sessions. Right. You know, they'd be like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm, I'm writing this programming. And they just relied, it was such a weird model, right? I don't know if, I don't know if this is an environment you guys have ever been in, but you just had an hour a week with somebody and that was it. Like they wouldn't discuss nutrition with them. They would, it was such a weird, and as someone, I think, cause I've done this kind of in the reverse order where I'd spent so long kind of re-educating myself out of what you learn when you do your sort of reps level with three PT. Um, you know, I understood that if I want to help these people achieve whatever it is they want to achieve, there's more, this cannot be done in 60 minutes once a week. And it was just odd and people would find that funny. People would find it funny and they would find it funny that I'd have guys, uh, you know, like doing loaded carries around the gym. And it was, it was, this is a long time ago though. And it's, that, that just was the level. This is what everyone did at that time. So I decided I wanted just to have a little hiatus. And my dad had worked in the entertainment industry for a while previously. And he was like, oh, why don't you just go and do some event stuff just for a few months, um, take some time off, get yourself back on your feet. Luckily I had, these few people that I was working, I was working with doing remote programming for them. We didn't call it remote programming at the time. It was just, will you write my workouts for me? So that was cool. So that kept me, you know, one foot in the industry, which was great. I went to do like six months in the events industry. And I've only just in the last few years, this is, you know, this is 10 years ago, only just in the last few years due to COVID actually stopped doing that. I ended up, um, project managing some big builds on the London Olympics and creating a really good network and then starting my own business where I was able to employ my, you know, members of my family, which is brilliant, means a lot to me. And then just traveling all around the country doing events while still I was doing a ton of fitness writing and a ton of, in the early days of online stuff and the early days of social media, I was doing a lot of program writing for people, that sort of thing. So it was really nice to, to have that balance. But I think moreover, it really helped me to, uh, drill down on what what I thought was effective training wise and discover for I want to say the average person but it's not really the average person because I was tra- I was like traveling every single day I was working 12 to 18 hours a day doing manual labor like on site 
and then I was writing uh, in the evenings and I was training and working over lunchtime. So it's not really average, but I guess it's the extreme end of what we would say is like everyday people, you know, everyday people who don't have the luxury of being in the gym 24 seven, although that does have its own constraints. Uh, and it, I was outside with minimal kit, just whatever I could chuck in the back of the van. And I, I started training like that. And I had this idea of like, can I, I've got the privilege of this education and this experience within within fitness and an understanding of anatomy and physiology and, and, and programming philosophies. Can I make these work in this environment? And if I can make these things work and be effective in this environment, well, they can then map onto any environment. And that's kind of what I started doing. And initially it was just to like stay in shape. Um, and then I just, I started thinking, well, how far can I take this? I want to do, I want to pick a very specific goal. Let's say I want to do a local strongman competition. Is it possible to train for this in, you know, in a travel lodge car park, various travel lodge car parks all over the country using just like, I'd, I'd go on like Facebook marketplace or whatever the equivalent was at time Gumtree and find someone that was like getting rid of their 50 kilo cast iron dumbbell. And I just go and buy it and be like, right, that's what, that's all I'm training with or have a big sandbag. But this time I, I was getting a, a little bit of like a social media following and I was, I was working with more people in a remote capacity and doing more writing and working with some cool brands and things like that. So it was all just coalescing nicely, but I was still like, on site running my business six seven days a week um building stuff so it was it was it was cool to have to do all of that stuff alongside that and it really gave me a i don't want to use the word empathy because it's just like trite and, and sort of overused but it gave me a really good perspective on what other people were up against and also the fact that you know what, even if you're not up against anything, you, we're not, we don't all think the same, the same activities and even the same goals are not necessarily as salient to all of us. So it, I don't want to say it was easy for me at 10 o'clock in the morning when I've been up since half five to go, right, lads, go and have breakfast and pull a D-ball out of the back of the van and do like a session because I had like rain hill coming up soon. It wasn't easy in the sense of, like that's hard work, but clearly it was salient enough for me to want to do it. So that I, I don't, I, I don't really go in for the whole. I've got off the tangent here. I don't really go in it off in on the whole. Like no excuses. If this person can get it done doing this, you can get it done because it's not the same. Clearly, that was super salient to me. Clearly, there was something about that that was pulling me towards it. I didn't have to drive myself, mm. and that is not the same as I find it much harder to um, motivate, for want of a better word, myself now when I have so much flexibility and control over my own schedule, like I still work ridiculous hours. I still work every single day. I don't ever really have a full day off, but if I've been on my laptop all day, it's very hard to then get up and go and train versus if I was just in like shorts and boots in the middle of the summer in the field, all I had to do was kick my boots off and pull the sandbag out of the van. Even though I'd been doing general, I was already warmed up, right? I was already warmed up. So let's just go. Um, and that pretty much brings us to now. At some point in there, I became the the chief fitness editor for Men's Health, a job they they I didn't apply for it or anything. They asked me to come and do. Um, and what else? There's some other things I'm sure that, that I'm sure they'll come up. Uh, thank you, Andrew. It was so so interesting to hear about how kind of your background, um, kind of all the jobs you've had, 
and everything along the way has made you become and have to become really adaptable in your training. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's something that people, listeners will really, really relate to, especially when you were saying about finding that time or finding that bit of equipment. If you haven't got kind of access to the gym or things are, you know, a little bit tough, what would you say to people um, either kind of in a similar background right now growing up or in a similar kind of environment where they haven't got a lot of time? How could they kind of use that as a positive force for their training? Uh, just, I would just say immediately get over the idea that there is a way that you should be doing this. Like immediately get over the idea that what this, like I'm doing air quotes, but obviously this is audio. What this looks like, um, what fitness looks like, what training looks like is 60 minutes, three, four, five, six times a week in one kind of, um, you know, one predetermined allocated place, especially designed for this thing. If you believe that that's, that they are the constraints by which you, you know, you must conform in order to build your fitness, you are instantly like setting yourself up um, for a time. And, you know, we've all experienced this time very recently for a time when that place, those times are not going to be available and you're kind of just going to be left standing there saying, what now? If you can get through your head that those are just methods by which you can improve your fitness if you so choose. But the principles are, um, the, broadly speaking, without drilling down too far, although we can if you want, the principles are stressing your body in a progressive manner um, consistently over a long enough time frame uh, and in line with the adaptations, in line with the improvements you would like to see. That's what um, training, you know, physical training for improvement that's the overarching principle. And I think the, the problem is we, we've dropped down a little bit deeper. And this, this makes sense because this makes it, it makes it very easy to have one place with all of your equipment and people there who are professionals in this industry. But the first thing you need to do is get over the fact and get your head around the fact that, that fitness does not need to look like that. It needs to be specific. You know, the stimulus has to be specific to whatever it is you want to achieve. But you can backwards engineer from there and that may not have to and in fact it probably doesn't have to include a gym a gym is a great place it has all of your my favorite places on earth they have many benefits above not training in the gym but if it's an option of gym or nothing then you kind of you're you've put yourself in a false dichotomy there so get out of that mindset immediately Perfect. And we're definitely going to go more into mindset as the podcast goes on as well. Andrew, thank you. That was some really valuable information there. I feel like that also just moves us nicely onto what I was just about to ask is um, how important is it for you to encourage people to just get moving? Yeah, it's everything, isn't it? It's everything. And it's, as I was saying before, like that's the top down bit. When we, when we kind of look, I think we're all, if we look at it as kind of a, I don't know what the best analogy would be, but like, a, you know, like one of the, there's layers, you know, an onion. Um, I think a lot of us are stuck or a lot of people are stuck a few layers in, you know, so that they can't see the whole onion as such. This is a poor analogy, but I hope it sticks. Um, the, you know, the very skin on the outside is just get moving. It's not until we start drilling down into more specificity that we start having, okay, it needs to look like this. It needs to be this often. It needs to, these are the constraints, but the just get moving part is the first and foremost is the most important part. Physiologically, 
the boxes you have to tick in order, you know, you know, when people talk about the, the benefits of exercise or these, these, these broad benefits of exercise, the actual boxes that you have to tick to get the big, broad um, benefits of exercise are very low. Like the barrier to actually hit, hitting those, you know, ticking those, those boxes to get all of the good stuff is so low. It really is just get, get kind of out of breath as as many times a week as you can like that is it move against some load even then you know we're beginning to get down into the onion a little bit more but in terms of just get moving i think the biggest thing especially in the last few years we've done as as an industry is i think we hammered and this this kind of speaks to the last point as well we hammered that point because it sounded really good on Twitter and it looks really good on Instagram. We hammered too hard this point of, I don't exercise, I train. You know, I'll train like an athlete, eat like a nutritionist. And we, we kind of hammered that so hard that I think it's left a lot of people in the mindset of, well, look, if I can't train hard, I'm just not going to do anything. What's the point? What's the point? You know, you, people really have got this idea and it speaks to, again, the last point of if I can't get in the gym and I can't do this, what's the point? I think we did that so hard that a lot of people, and this is from both sides of the spectrum as well, we've either got people who are already a little bit intimidated by exercise culture or by the idea of moving, or it just literally isn't that salient to them. It literally isn't. They know they need to do it, but they just don't enjoy it. Like it just doesn't pull them in. And this is fine. And on the other side, we've got people who maybe, and I would consider myself one of these people, who maybe went a little bit too hard in the paint for a while with it. And now their idea or our idea of what exercise looks like is so far out there that it's actually a little bit scary to like the idea of training is like, Oh God, I know what training feels like. I think the sweet spot as with everything is probably in the middle way where we go, I can go hard when I want to go hard, but I don't always have to go hard. And if the choice is between going hard and doing nothing, then I'm going to, well, that's silly. So let's just find the middle way. So yeah, getting moving. And then you can start asking questions of like, where do you want to go with this? Okay, well, what's the, what's the minimal effective dose we need to achieve that fits within your lifestyle and fits within, you know, there's going to be times of discomfort and there's going to be times of, it's not going to be necessary. It's not going to be easy all the time, um, but let's find the version of this that suits you. That is, you know, it, instead of constantly trying to, shove a square peg for a round hole and get people to do versions of this that just don't speak to them because we sometimes as fitness professionals maybe don't understand that because we're like we, we're just convinced that the way we think and the way the world appears to us is how it appears to everyone else and we're just like well it's you know it's just discipline or it's just doing this it's just doing that is it just discipline or do you just enjoy this thing a lot more than the person next to you because i know a lot of people who bang the discipline drum and bang the how you do one thing is how you do everything drum and then i wouldn't say that they're as good in other aspects of their life as they are in the gym so i don't know if it's discipline or it's just they happen to enjoy the gym um even when it's hard especially when it's hard i think it's important that we get people moving and that we possibly dispel the myth of it has to look a certain way and it has to be at a certain intensity all the time. You have to accept that it's going to have to be hard sometimes if you want to reach, you know, goal dependent. But for the, for the average person who's these, 
these broad um, benefits of you know increased longevity increase um you know the, the the mental health benefits the all of these things that we 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 love to talk about you do not have to be doing a hero mod every day to hit those hit those you know hit those barriers you can go for a hard walk that that hits i'm not saying that that's all you need to do and you're going to go to the games i'm saying that to hit those physiological check marks just mm. you can get away with just doing that and the worry is that we've maybe made this thing look like such a hard complicated high intensity thing that a lot of people are just cashed out and they're not getting these really low-hanging benefits because they think well what's the point what's the point if i can't get to the box six days a week i'll just vegetate and i think that's you know we need i think it's our job as professionals and it's also our job as i think maybe as people who there's a lot of people who aren't, don't want to hear that message from somebody who perhaps um, I'm trying to I'm trying to sort of be polite as possible here, but they don't want to hear that message from maybe someone who isn't doing things or achieving things that they themselves don't want to achieve. I think it's very easy to sit on the sidelines and say, take it easy. But I think if you are someone who is possibly like doing things of note, you know, doing things that other people in society might be like, wow, that's a pretty tough thing to do. If you are then saying, you don't have to do it like this, you, you can take it easy, like rest. You don't have to go hard all the time. I think maybe that's our responsibility as, uh, as people who are a little bit deeper into this to perhaps do that sometimes. I think if you're there doing hard stuff, but identifying with how hard it is and, you know, maybe I don't, you know, I don't do this because it's easy. I do, you know, these, these, these uh, you know, very deep um, motivational type messages. They're not super motivational for some people. Go hard or go home is not a great message for people who don't want to be there in the first place. They will just go home. <laughs> like, I want to be at home. Thank you very much. <laughs> It's honestly so much of this is resonating with me, um, both in the CrossFit space I work in and my PT space. Um, firstly, yeah, that go hard or go home mentality, both CrossFit gyms I've worked in throughout the past kind of five years. Any coaches who have had that attitude at the whiteboard, I've honestly seen people go home. And they're like, yeah. don't start yeah. with that. These people, especially new people coming in, it's like, that's not what they want to hear. Yeah. You know, they're terrified. It took them 20 minutes to just walk in the door. They were yeah. staring at it walking past a million times. They probably thought about this gym for a year before joining. And the yeah. first thing you've said to them is, if you don't smash this workout, you're shit. You, yeah. That's no way to, that totally resonated with me. And um, as well, Andrew, I mean, in my PT space, um, there was, a wonderful woman that uh, joined with me about six months ago and her goal was to be able to walk her dogs without getting out of breath and i just love that like that was just everything to me and I, we've now been working together for a while and she is walking her dogs and she is deadlifting 100 kg now as well but that just came part and parcel with the fact that you know she wanted them to lift and and stuff once she kind of saw it was in her remit and that made yeah. pick up that barbell because now i can walk the dog so yeah Sorry, I've, I've gone on a bit of a ramp, but that, that gets so much of that resonated. That idea of like meeting people where they're at rather than where you're yeah. at. <laughs> because Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Different ends of this spectrum, though. Yeah, yeah. It's making the mistake of assuming that 
you know what's true for you is 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 true for everybody else in terms of your your sort of outlook on the world and it may well be it may well be that that go hard or go home mentality is the thing that you resonate with and that's the thing that gets you through the workout and that's the thing that gets you through life and pushing that a little bit harder but it's not true i think the problem is that we have like this success bias where it's the the people who have made it are the people saying things like that but for every per for every um you know i don't want to blast here but for every david goggins there are a million people who had that mindset and went up and came down hard you know and that, but there are, yeah, yeah like I put my hand up as well, right? I, I was like that. Yeah, it's, I hit archive, I hit the memories thing on Instagram, what it, whatever it is, where it shows you like five years ago today. And I, I read some stuff and I'm like, oh, like, <laughs> you were, but that's, I think for a lot of us or for a lot of people like I was, that is the thing that actually gets you through. It's that's, the, that's a little bit of, e, you, you know, the little bit of ego gratification of of like you have to create this character that very quickly becomes a caricature of like i'm the hardcore guy this is what i'm doing this is what i'm doing and if that's that will get you through but eventually when that breaks down what you know what what have you got you are just the you know what have you got left at your at your sort of core when when that when that breaks down when that person is the person that that caricature in your head then turns around and says oh i don't know about this actually man like you've been listening to him for too long now you know i believe anything he says i think that's very, it's very much the liability of identifying with with any sort of particular um you know uh, mindset or you know anything like that we can become caught up in the in the character we're, we're playing or we can try and play a character that's just out of our wheelhouse, um, which is, I think, what happens with people when they try and be like, okay, well, I, I've seen this meme that says it's it's go hard or go home. So let let me go get a try, get myself worked up, and then like, oh, you know what? Um, I've got hot running water and bubble bath at home, so I reckon I'm gonna head there. You know, if it doesn't resonate, it doesn't resonate, but. I think that's something we could do better as as fitness professionals is is meeting people where they are, as you say, Celeste, and seeing the world through their their lens. And I, I think uh, if you just indulge me for a second, I think for a lot of people, one of the biggest problems. This is something I've put so much thought into recently. Is maybe and Sarah, what you said about your client, who is very open and honest about her goal which sounds hilarious. Like, it sounds funny, right? It sounds funny. So my goal is just to walk my dogs. And I think that's because we've become so obsessed with um, a, a goal-oriented, like, everyone's got to have a goal. Everyone's got to have a goal. And uh, I think, um, what, who's the guy? Um, Simon Sinek. Is there a guy called Simon Sinek? And it's like, you've got to find your why. You've got to find your why. And, you know, Nietzsche said... A man with a suitable wire can endure anyhow. You know, this idea that we have to have this purpose and this goal in order to get us through everything. I don't disagree. I'm not going to disagree with, with you know, Frederick Nietzsche. He's probably, probably smarter than me. But um, I think where people then go wrong is they don't really investigate what their why is. They pick from a list of whys 
that you know that, 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 that this list of common wise that have been put out there that make you sound really good they make you sound really noble and kind of virtuous if this is your goal and what happens when in it but you know you know subconsciously that's not really your motivation and what happens then when it gets tough is the voice in the back of your head goes that's not you know the, the motivation that should be getting you through this the why that can help you endure anyhow if it's not really your why it's not going to do it it's going to fall apart and i think we've become so and th this is the example i give people when i talk to people and we talk about you know when i i'm bored like a new i worked with a very small handful of people one-to-one -one. when we discuss what their goals are and what their why is I can get, and I, I get a lot of exposure to people through men's health as well. So I speak to a lot of, a lot of really sort of the everyday man. I hear the same three, four, five things as to like, what are your motivations? They're just the same. What, I think, what really all of you, all of you, there's just five to pick from surely. And the one that stands out the most and the one that's so quickly kind of, I don't want to call it transparent because that, that, that's to do with this justice, injustice to the people, misjustice to the people who say it, but the amount of times I hear, I just want to be fit enough to play with my kids, right? It's a, it's a common thing, right? We hear that all the time. I just want to be fit enough to play with my kids. And this is not to knock anyone because we all do it. If the amount of times I heard that was true, you would not be able to walk past a park in this country without seeing hundreds of dads throwing their kids around, chasing them around, like pushing them on the swings, uh, you know, on the, you know, four kids hanging off of them while they're doing laps of the park. But you don't see that, right? Mm. You know, and this, you know, this is not to discredit anyone. This is not, you know, I think that's a very noble, it's a goal I have for myself. But I think the problem is if you, if you, misconstrue that as your primary driver for getting fit i just want to play with my kids at some point probably in the middle of a heinous uh assault bike and burpee piece something in the back of your head is going to go do i need to be this fit to play with my kids like do, i don't think i need to be this fit like i don't think i don't think i need to be th going this hard to uh -huh. play with my kids but if you can just do, and you don't have to tell anyone you're, I know what my, I know what my primary drivers are. And some of them aren't that glamorous and some of them are probably a little bit embarrassing. You don't have to tell anyone, but when you've really nailed them, if you have to, the, the um, I don't want really to use the word authenticity either, but if you have the sort of authenticity, the, the honesty with yourself to say, maybe I do want to look a little bit better with my shirt off and it, maybe there's more maybe there's further wise to be had beneath that right but that's maybe that's beyond the remit of a personal trainer <laughs> then when you know that suddenly in the middle of a particularly hard workout or when you're making nutritional choices you've got your real motivation as a, and that's what the word, I think motivation is, uh, has been colloquially sort of butchered to mean this, this thing, that this thing that gets me up and go and puts the pep in my step. Motivation means the reason you do something. What was the, you know, what, when a judge is asking 
in court what was the motivation they're not asking like what was the thing that did you like put some Jocko Willink on and it, that's what really got you fired up to go and do this thing did you, did you read out Middleton's book they're not talking about motivation in that sense they mean like what was your reason for doing it I think when we are dishonest with ourselves about what our real whys are or if we just don't drill deep enough into it we're going to come unstuck at some point like false false motivations are not going to see you through and and i think that is just uh, a place where people you don't have to tell anyone you know you don't have to tell anyone that i don't really think that any particular goal is more noble than any other really in the in the particularly if you sort of in the fitness and training realm obviously if you're training to join the uh, join the peace corps and go out and you know, give aid in war-torn countries. I think that's extremely noble and virtuous. But if it's a difference between I'm training to, you know, because I want to get to semifinals next year in the, in, the, in, in the games after the Open, or you're training because um, I want I just want slightly broader shoulders on the beach. I don't really think though the, the nobility of those two goals are as far away as people make them out to be. Do you know what I mean? To a large degree, it's all something that we're very fortunate to be able to do. It's all a sort of luxury, um, privileged, a series of privileged activities and privileges go- privileged goals to strive towards that are realistically coming from a place of of um, a sort of sufficiency in our lives that we get to be able to say, I want to go to semifinals or I get to be able to say, I want. I just want to get to the point where I've got bicep veins when I go on holiday. Like those are those are very fluffy, nice goals to be in the position to have, right? You're not thinking, "Where's my next meal coming from?" You're thinking, "Oh, am I doing curls or a rowing piece today?" Uh, but I just think we just need to be honest with people. People just maybe need to be honest with themselves about that, and they'll get through stuff a little bit easier when they, it takes the load off of it. I think it, it allows you to take the load off of it. Um, when you realize that all of this is pretty cool all of this is pretty fun and all of this is a privilege to be able to do so take it as seriously as you need to but not an ounce more yeah i really um love just that you said there that you don't need to tell everybody i think that's something that's really resonating with me but but also because your goals are going to change depending on life. And so yeah. if you're so attached to one goal, it can just completely take over and become your identity. And you sort of yeah. almost lose lose yourself in the process because yeah. you're so focused on what you once said you wanted to be, whether it was, you know, like you said, have veins in your arms when you go away or, you know, have an eight pack when you take your shirt off. But ultimately, like, we are constantly changing and our goals are going to fluctuate as we progress through life and navigate whatever challenges it might throw at us. Um, yeah, so, yeah. I feel like it stops us um, going and experiencing new things. We've just got this one track mind, this one goal, and we don't want to kind of get off that path. It might stop us saying yes to so many cool stuff that's offered to us. Yeah, yeah, without a shadow, shadow of a doubt. Like you just said, Celeste, like you, if you become identified with and it's this thing again where we create a character that quickly becomes a caricature but when we have an ideal of what this character should be or should be achieving well there's no way that that really ends well because on one side of it you don't 
get to where you think you should be going and you, you, you're living in a sort of unsatisfactoriness of that. Or the other thing is you get to where you want to be going and you're like, well, what now? Like I've built this whole character around achieving this thing and now here I am and it's maybe not as good as I thought it was going to be. You have to, one thing I've been thinking about a lot lately, I, I wrote this in my diary and I, I've been thinking about it a hell of a lot, is you have to optimise for experience. You have to optimise for your life not for any particular one goal not for this not for that if you optimize for some far off thing but in the in the run up to that everything is terrible and it's not to say there shouldn't be sacrifice sometimes because there has to if you're going to sacrifice stuff ultimately the juice has to be worth the squeeze it has to be that your experience is going to take a hit like your experience of everyday life your experience of yourself in the world it's going to take a hit, but once you get to this point, whatever it is you've set out to get to, right, okay, now you, you, your experience of the world is better. You know, there, there has to be that. But if you're constantly sort of um, degrading your experience in order to get to this and this and this and this, but none of those things are actually upgrading your experience of the world, then what is the point? You are going to spend the majority of your life transiting between one goal or one problem or one thing. You have to opt to, this is, this is a little bit cliche. I'm trying to find a better word, but I just use transit. I don't want to use it again. You have to optimize for the journey, right? Because the destination is going to be fleeting at best. And it might also be a letdown. Mm. It's, it's how you are operating in those in-between times that's going to construct or is going to make up the majority of your life. If you're constantly attached to this goal and this goal and this goal and this goal and this goal, well, percentage-wise or ratio-wise, your experience of life is not going to be particularly good. Or, you know, in the, in the, when you look back, you're going to go, well, I had these few fleeting moments. And I think we're very good now uh, at realizing that we shouldn't do this with things. Like we, 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 this is something that you see spoken about a lot. Like it's not about things. It's not about things. It's not about things. But then people are just replacing things. And this is, you know, some of others, they're just replacing things with transient experiences. Oh, it's not about getting the new car or getting this, getting that. It's about going on a holiday. And you're like, well, hold on. That's just another that is just another thing. Like you make like cool memories are excellent. Like not to, but it's that if you can optimize for the in between the holidays and the in between the new cars and all of those things, that's where you're going to spend most of your life. And it's not to say that that doesn't just mean be a hedonist. It means it just means optimize for experience in terms of because hedonism obviously has its it's just more of the same. Like you, you can't just um everything that just came to mind is pretty unspeakable on a podcast but you can't just do fun stuff all the time because then bad there's going to be consequences to that and suddenly you're in a bad experience so when i say optimize your experience i mean like on a long enough timeline what's going to make you most content not blips of happiness followed by troughs of sadness or hard work what's the version of this where the transiting from one goal to another is just as if not more enjoyable than the than the you know the peak of the mountain mm. completely i feel like that is one of the questions we were, i was going to ask you later on andrew was about the limitless life you talk about and i feel like that might be worth bringing in now what's that all about <laughs> you, 
I right. So a couple of things I want to say here is first off, um, the questions that you sent over were so good. Like I've never been on a podcast where I've been. I don't think I've ever been on a podcast where I've been saying questions, but they were just so good. And I have to say, you uh, you've like pulled some quotes and stuff, and I was like, did I say that? Did I say that? No, but I do. I do, I do talk a lot. I I write a lot, and I do talk a lot. So I'm going to forget some things. Um, in what context did I use the term limitless life? Can you remember? You were talking about very, that's why I just brought it in now because you were talking about something really similar to what you mm. were just talking about where it's kind of making the most out of our everyday. The things that we do every day, how we can make the most out of them versus these big main events that like yeah. you said, like holidays and, and travel or whatever that might be. Um, so it just sounded really similar to what you were saying. Yeah. I'm gonna throw that one in now. So just this, uh, you know, it's great to have these big, I know exactly what we're talking about, these big bombastic, bombastic experiences. And we, we go there, we make memories and you'll never forget this. But again, they are the peaks of the mountain. They're not the ridge, they are not the climb. If you can look for those moments in your ordinary everyday life when you are scanning when you become accustomed to scanning for these big experiences these big highs you can become very easily desensitized to actually how great your everyday experience can be like how actually incredible it is to be like this is maybe a little bit too far but how incredible it is to be having any experience whatsoever versus the versus the the contrary we are you know physiologically we're obviously we're built as a sort of threat detection machines right so it makes more it makes evolutionarily it makes sense to look out for bad stuff yeah so um there's a really really ancient sort of uh, analogy metaphor fable here which is like if you see a coil of rope out the corner of your eyes it's going to appear like a snake okay just out the corner of your eyes as soon as you realize it's not ah good cool now evolutionarily that makes so much sense because the person who nine times out of ten sees the ten times out of ten sees the coil of rope and thinks it's a snake gets home safe every night the person who doesn't gets bitten by a snake so we are programmed to see the worst to see the worst in things in, in many ways we really are we we are we're, we're pretty floppy vulnerable animals versus the outside world i think we forget that sometimes because we're just such apex beasts aren't we but we're not like we really are pretty fluffy furry little uh, scared vulnerable animals so we are always on the lookout for what's tough. The problem is now we're in very comfortable environments, but we're still rigged. We're still set up that way. And so the, the, the things that are firing up our threat detection mechanisms are not really threats, but we, we're running new software on very, very old hardware. You know, you, your nervous system does not really know the difference between that coil of rope that may or may not be a snake and the email that from your boss that you weren't expecting to get so what actually is this right oh you know what is this when we can recognize that 
and I'm just, I'm just trying to bring it back to your question. When we can recognize that and realize that is what's going on all the time. You're, you're a threat detection machine. Uh, but on the other hand, you've started trying to have these big bombastic experiences or, or you've been attached to these ideas of all these things that you want to have and you want to achieve because that kind of balances out with that threat detection machine. When you could just live in the middle of, of realizing that, and start actually paying enough attention in each moment to realize, like cultivate the presence. And it, people are not going to, people don't like the sound of this, some people, but cultivate the presence and the gratitude in each moment. Everything gets a little bit more high definition and everything gets a little bit brighter when you start, you can, you know, you can neurologically reprogram that threat detection machine to let in the good you know you start looking for we know this this is really sort of like a level psychology you know you, you start talking about you know minis you're going to start seeing a lot of minis on the road it's just that's just basic um you know that's just basic psychology you can do that with good stuff. You could literally be like, okay, no, I'm just gonna, you know, you don't have to have a gratitude journal or anything like that if that feels a little bit too, we were out there for you. But just start paying attention in each moment and you'll soon find that for the vast majority of us, it's more good than bad. If you are listening to this podcast, you are in, and this is not to take away from any of your everyday struggles because they're very real and they have to be honored and respected. But if you are listening to this podcast, potentially on a nice wireless set of headphones on a thousand pound supercomputer in your pocket, you are in the top point 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 one percent of people who've ever lived, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and that's not to, you, cause you can, you can run that sort of analogy into the ground. That doesn't mean like, Oh, you just be grateful for everything. Something really terrible happens. Well, at least you're alive. And that's not, you know, you still have to, not let bad things happen and you still have to work on that but at the same time can you recognize how much privilege and beauty and just incredulous kind of overwhelmingly cool stuff there is in your everyday experience if you can cultivate that you win a lot more than if you're constantly chasing the next training high or the next competition high or the, you know whatever whatever it may be it doesn't mean you can't do those things and it doesn't mean you can't take those things in but just going back to what i said before you're constantly going to be transiting between those things so optimize for the journey not for the not for the you know the destination Thank you, Andrew. That was a, that's some huge takeaways there for the listeners. Thank you. I think Celeste is going yeah. to go on to the next question for you. I'm just going to go off on a tangent. Give me a second. <laughs> <laughs> no, what, did, what, what were you were saying just then, Andrew, just reminded me of, um, I once, I think it was at like a presentation or something, and someone had said, oh, you know, um, you look at the world like responsible. Actually, it is like the idea of being able to respond. Um and taking that on board yourself. But I just wanted to jump in with breath work because I know that um, you practice breath work and I wondered if that has had any impact on sort of how you control your mindset and how you try to stay present and be more aware every day. 
Yeah, yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. This is something that I've been sort of playing with and in, uh, investigating for years. I had some old, I was having to dig through some old photos for work the other day to just find a picture to use for something. And there was a, a picture of me at an event that we hosted for Men's Health. And this is like four or five years ago. And I was getting them to like up, up regulate. You know, we did up regulation breath, we did down regulation breath, and we, we talked about how to sort of control your state in the midst of the workout this is something i've been very i don't know why i just qualified it like that um i don't know why i had to i don't know why i had to do that thing it'd be like i've been doing it for ages uh but it's uh it's hard to say because i, I i've sort of gone on a for want of a better word like a journey of other stuff at the same time so i don't know these things have interacted and sort of multiplied with each other but the i think of the breath in two ways we've got the you, you the way you can look at it very physiologically the way we can look at the the fact that the breath um, offers this kind of rare point at which the autonomous and the unconscious, or sorry, the autonomous and the conscious meet in terms of how we're able to control our bodies, okay? So we don't think about, you know, you don't beat your heart, your heart just beats. It's, you know, there's things you can do to make it go faster or slower, but there's no conscious... You can't just go, okay, how's my heart beating right now? Let's slow down, let's speed it up. I think a lot, and I talk a lot, about this feedback loop we have between the psychological and the physiological. You do something with your body and your mind reacts. How your mind reacts will then have a huge impact on how your body then reacts. And you end up in this feedback loop. And this is very tangible. It's very tangible. We start doing something that's really hard and our heart rate goes up. It goes up a little bit too much and your, your mind goes, oh, this is tough. Like, this is really tough. As you do that, you know, you, you, your body then picks up on that cue of, oh, this is tough. And you begin to contract and then your heart rate goes up even more because not only are you doing this hard thing, but you're finding it hard. You're having a tough experience. So you, your state upregulates. This isn't necessarily a bad thing. We need our, you know, we can't just be chilled out breathing through our nose all the time. We, we want to do tough things. What the breath, what what I believe the breath does, being somewhere between the conscious and the unconscious, is offer us a place to cut that feedback loop. You know, physiologically, we know that if we slow down our breathing and that there's certain practices we can do and there's certain protocols that we can engage in, that will then help us to cut that loop and have uh, change our physiological state to want to be that's one that's either more conducive to carrying on what we're doing and this isn't always about just calming down because there's times in which you can't do that but it enables you to i think cut that feedback loop physiologically the other way i think about the breath is in um it's real it's real it's really there you are really breathing and this is what your breath really feels like right now we have, uh, in any given moment, we have, you know, five, six things we can pay attention to, the, you know, our, our five senses and, and what's going on in our head. We pay an outsized amount of attention to what's going on in our brain, right? And that's just all narrative. It's just, uh, especially if we're doing something hard, it's just all discursive thought. We don't ever question whether or not uh, you know we don't fact check that we just that we just think that's us that voice in our head well that's us so it must be true the voice that's saying this is really tough we don't question it 
we just go yeah yeah you're right <laughs> or we don't even do that because we're like that voice must be me because i'm the only one that can hear it when we come back to and in wisdom in a lot of wisdom traditions they're not the uh, the breath is just simply an object of attention that's really there so in many wisdom traditions you could do this by paying attention to sounds or you could do this paying attention to sensations on your body or whatnot i don't fully agree with that I think the breath does have a special place as an object of attention simply because of the stuff we were just saying about the physiological effects of it. It's something that when things do get tough, you're going to notice a change in your breath. So when you come back to the breath as an object of attention, you are allowing your attention to land on something that's very concrete and real. You, you are kind of um, realizing it gives you the ability to in many ways, like realize that you're actually in the matrix right now. Like this, may not be what it seems the the thoughts in your head aren't necessarily you know maybe this isn't you 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 know you're doing work you're doing some devil's press and for a split for a split second for a long second this is the hardest thing you've ever done in your entire life but that's that's the narrative that's in your head this is the hard this is the worst thing i actually think i'm going to die if i carry on you don't question that you just go with it and then this loop goes round and round and round if you can come back to the breath and you let your attention land on something very concrete it's like putting your feet back on the ground so that you go, oh, actually, this isn't anywhere near the hardest thing I've ever done. And I don't think I'm going to die. Or if nothing else, it just gives your attention something. It can subsume your attention so that you, the rest of your mind and the rest of your body can just get on with the task that you're doing. So you're just there. You're just there with the breath. You're just riding away the breath of the breath. Physiologically, what will probably happen is you will find the best and there's there's tons of breathing protocols you can do and there's loads of ways that you can consciously manipulate your breath during a, you know a variety of workouts in order to get a different result but the low-hanging fruit is just paying attention to it because it will probably a lot of time most things in life not everything but most things a lot of things self-right just by paying attention to them. This is as true as finances and your relationships and work and whatever it is. Oh, oh shit, like, okay, that's there's something going on there that I didn't know was going on and I'll fix it, you know, that, that sort it. When you drop your attention onto your breath, chances are, and you, everyone knows this, when, the minute someone says pay attention to your breath, you don't really just pay attention to it exactly as it is. You take a deep breath or you do, you know, you do something, you do something conscious because by shining that the, the, the sort of the spotlight faculty of attention on it, you begin to write it. I think that's powerful in a workout because like I say, the, the first and foremost, it just gives your attention something concrete to land on, to bring you back to earth and not off in whatever story you were telling yourself about the weekend, about the workout. And in everyday life, same thing exactly the same thing you like we don't realize how quickly we spiral into a story we're telling about ourselves like how we we all know this to be true like how many times have you just been sitting there replaying a conversation that happened the day before and you don't realize you, you don't realize you're doing it because you just you just accept that this is what it's like to be you there's these thoughts and there's you know this is just what it's like and we spiral into them and we don't realize that we're actually like playing out a fantasy in our head. You know, we're, we're, we think we're in this movie that's going on. And when you come back to the breath, you suddenly realize, I'm not going to go too far with this, but 
you suddenly realize, oh, I can actually just be in the theater watching this. And now I can just, I can just leave. I can just let it play out. And the breath just gives you something very concrete to hold on to, to realize, oh, okay, this stuff actually isn't here. It isn't real. This isn't really happening. This is just the story I'm telling myself. And this is true as true in a workout as it is in a confrontation, as it is in, um, you know, in work, in any environment. If you just take a second to kind of, eventually this just becomes, uh, you know, something that you're sort of unconsciously competent at, that you can just come back to. And a lot of times you realize, especially in, in workout environments, there's a reason for your breath to be called sort of agitated and doing whatever it's doing because you're, you're doing hard stuff. A lot of times when you, you kind of are in a situation where you, you develop the capacity to stop and not just be subsumed by whatever, whatever's going on in your head and just become whatever behavior is being suggested to you by your brain. If you can just stop for a second and come back to the breath, you realize like, oh, I'm, I'm actually breathing a little heavy right now. I'm not doing anything. Like it doesn't necessitate this sort of staccato broken up breathing. Well, maybe something's going on here. Something's going on in my body. Like I'm riled up. Maybe, maybe then this isn't the time to be making big decisions. This isn't the time or the, the, the sort of physiological state or you know, psychological state to be responding, to be replying. Maybe if I was to say something back now, it would literally be a reaction. It would, you know, cutting that loop, I believe is where the breath is so, so useful. There's time, like, the better you get at it as well, it doesn't, this doesn't mean like you just have to sit there and, you know, get into Burmese or half Lotus and follow the breath for 10 minutes. Sometimes it can just be taking that beat. It just taking that beat to go, what the fuck was I thinking? Like, Oh my God, I can't, I nearly said that, you know, I nearly said that, but just taking the second and coming back to the breath to question the thoughts in your head and not just accept them. Like a, I heard something great, which is like every thought is just a sort of advertisement for how things could be in the next moment. They're not what you are. They're not, it's just a, it's just a, you know, it's a, it's a suggestion. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be, you don't have to instantly get wrapped around the axle of it. And it's, this is, you know, I'm by no means a, um, fully cooked as Ram Dass would say uh, I, I've got so much work to do in this area but just knowing that you actually do have an option you don't you don't instantly have to become whatever your mind is telling you to become and the breath is a powerful tool I think in a workout or whatever it, you know whatever it is it's easy to sort of mistake these things for just talking about uh, not flying you know what's the you know not flying off the hook and in the car but it's very much true in a workout situation as well. It's very much true of like, do I want to become fully identified with the person who thinks they can't make it to the end of this workout? Or should I just come back to the breath? And a lot of times you come back to the breath and you're like, this is not really the best way to be breathing right now Um, or or not breathing in some cases. You come back there and then you're like, oh, I didn't think I could get through that next moment, but it's gone. So I got through it and the next one and the next one and the next one and the it's not a distraction. It's not, you know, this is not a coping mechanism. This is not a distraction. It's just something very concrete to bring your attention back to, to land you in the here and now and 
step back and go, you know, there's a story I'm telling myself right now and there's what's really here and there's what's really going on. Let's pay more attention to one than the other. Did I answer your question? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. In fact, yeah, it's it's made me think about a lot of scenarios where I definitely uh, have needed to use my breath more. And it's one of the reasons that I have on my emails that one minute delay. Like mm. that's not what I need. That that is literally like my breath. So if I'm writing an email, even once I've sent it, um, which I try to definitely not be like very reactional with them, but having that one minute delay is almost like that 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 breath that we yeah. take of just process and reassess and and figure out exactly where we're at and again tuning into those sensors. So yeah, thank you so much for answering that question. No. That just to that just to that point as well, like this heuristic, I try I try my best to use like the, the I guess the ratio I try and use is the more I feel like I want to fire off this response right now, the longer I wait. Like that's the that's that they should be inversely sort of correlated. And the more I think, no fuck that, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this right now. The longer like that's a day then. Like if I'm really like if I see something and I really want to respond to it. That's the thing I shouldn't respond to at all because, you know, that's something there has sort of riled up my ego. There's something there that has taken a shot on my pride or maybe there's some core belief I have that's being challenged there. And that, you know, if I'm responding, if I'm firing, if I'm, you know, commenting on this Instagram post, if I'm responding to this DM, whatever it is, there's every likelihood all I'm actually doing is defending my own stance to myself. Like the stronger I feel about wanting to say something, and this is so hard because you're not always going to be wrong. Sometimes people are just dicks doing dick stuff, but (laughs) the stronger I feel about it, that I use that now as a prompt to go like, what actually, what is that about that that challenged you? Or, you know, sometimes you do have to respond and sometimes you do have to, like, you know, put boot in. But the more I want to do it and the more quickly I want to do it, that kind of signals to me, you know, that's sand in the hourglass as such. The the, the amount I want to do it is sand in the hourglass. So the more sand there is, the longer I'm, I'm going to wait. Yeah. It's like you're looking inside and it's like, is this my ego talking here? Does my mm. ego come out of this... Um, what is it deep rooted in me? Yeah, you want to absolutely jump on this and respond like that kind of conditioned reaction. Mm. Yeah, 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 exactly. And exactly that. And the more you start paying attention to it, the more you begin to just see it. The more you begin to see it everywhere. You begin to see it in every interaction you have, interactions other people are saying. And it once you begin to to do that, and it's by no means an easy feat because it it means you have to really dig deep to just not react all the time but once you begin to do that you really even people that do stuff that is maybe dickish behavior you then begin to see like what the need is they're trying to have fulfilled there or what the what the gratification is they're trying to um, receive there and it makes it very that then makes it very difficult to get I guess angry at them or whatever at them because you you know you can respond accordingly and of course you should this is by no means this doesn't mean just like oh just let everything go and become a doormat to life it just means that 
don't react, take your time, respond and see why you're doing things. See why other people are trying to see the need that uh, this is, you know, some like TikTok psychology talk, therapy talk here, but try and see the need that is unmet or the validation that that person is seeking when they say or do this thing. And it doesn't mean you can't tell someone to shut up or it doesn't mean you can't call someone out and you absolutely should. But if you can do it from a place of understanding, like you, that's reality. You are now in reality. You are now not just two opposing egos going against each other. If you can be open enough to see from a place of um, of empathy and uh, and kind of sympathetic joy when that's necessary and compassion, moreover, and you can see like you're not you i don't know like your interactions with the world change as well because then even if you are in a position where you're you're having something that some might concede is an argument if you're arguing from a place of compassion and you're seeing their point as opposed to just arguing your own and just two egos clashing well for starters as long as you're paying close attention you're probably going to actually win that argument because you're not just arguing to win you're arguing to be right and to get like in in the grander sense of things everyone wins when you only win when everything is put to right not when i win the argument um and if you can just see not just what they're saying, because you know that's fun. I think you're you're silly to have any argument if you don't really understand the crux of what the person is saying. But see why they're saying it. See like dig down, and it, it doesn't make it right, and it doesn't excuse people's behaviour. But it does give you firmer ground to stand on to have that interaction, and and that all comes back to taking time and taking a beat, and not just reacting. And I think the more you want to react, that heat. That, that you know that that inner you know someone said something that challenges you and you sort of get hot inside you feel that's kind of you know you, you're shaking a little bit and you're kind of a bit right the the stronger that is the the, the higher a the higher the chances that this is more you than them <laughs> this is more something that's going on in you and just the longer you should weigh it the longer you should see things out and yeah, some and things think... are good sorry sorry please. sorry go on andrew no, no, no. I was, I was probably just saying more of the same. So please continue. Oh no, I'm just going to say that took us beautifully, kind of full circle to that living, um, you know, a, a, just a more kind of fulfilling life. Because if you're mm. that compassionate person and, and and you're able to kind of control a little bit more, control your reactions and your emotions. At the end of the day, I can, you know, quite imagine. I'm, I'm from personal experience as well. So Les and I talk about this all the time. That it, you just have a kind of calmer, calmer approach to life. You have optimized for experience, you know, you, you're, you, if you are looking and I very much used to be this person, if you are a grievance waiting for a cause, if you are uh, a very fiery person who just reacts to everything, you will spend all of your time reacting. And it's really not hard in 2023 to find things to be pissed off about in your everyday life. It's really not hard if you're looking for it. If you're calibrated to find things to get things off about, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you are not optimizing for experience and your life's going to be tough. And I live like, you know, I sometimes still to do. I'm not, I'm a very, um, you know, I'm not, nowhere even near halfway there yet. Uh, but 
for just being a little bit more deliberate with what I allow the sort of texture of my mind to do and become you are you have optimized for legs you know for your everyday experience of life versus winning an argument versus competing versus getting this versus getting that the I guess I, I think ultimately the goal if there was a goal to sort of uh, supersede all goals would be to stop sort of satisfying the conditions for contentment and happiness and learn to be content regardless of conditions like if there was a meta skill that would be great to have that would be it right that if you can just be it doesn't mean you can't do stuff it doesn't mean you can't enjoy your life or it doesn't mean you can't be happy in fact paradoxically you will find yourself being happy much more because you're just you're calibrated towards that and you'll you'll find it much more as long as you don't get attached to that so that the lows are low you know so you can take everything exactly as it comes i think you're onto a winner but it's about that ordinary mind and that you're seeing these experiences in your ordinary life that i think is uh i don't know it might be the it might be the key who knows that's I, I honestly, I think I was going to say amen if I'm allowed to say it. But yeah, thank you so much, Andrew. I'm a little bit conscious of time. Um, and I feel like we could honestly talk all day. We have so many questions and so much that we would we would love to chat about. Um, but I think there's just one final question that we sort of always finish the podcast with that we would love to wrap up with, if that's okay. Sarah, should Absolutely. I? Or do you... um, Celeste, you go for it. Okay, here we go. Um, so the last question, Andrew, is what do you know now that you wish you were taught at school? Uh, everything we just spoke about. <laughs> no. Um, I think just straight off the back of the last thing we were just we were just discussing is that I wish I wish that someone had said pay attention to this experience as an experience. Don't just assume that the things you think and the things you feel are you and there's no other option. Like pay attention to the fact that everything that is happening in your mind is not you. It's not you. They're all, as I said before, like they're all just, you know, at some level it's all just, um, causal electrical activity in your brain that you, whatever your consciousness is, is picking up on if you really want to boil it right down it's not you you have an option every time one of those thoughts or one of those emotions or whatever it is arises you do not have to become that thing you do not have to become wrapped around the axle of that thing it is optional i wish someone had told me that your thoughts are not what you are how can they be what you are because then to whom are they occurring you're so much you are the space in which they occur which makes you infinitely larger than any thought or any feeling and sometimes they might burn a little bit brighter than others and sometimes they might take up like the whole screen of consciousness and it might be hard not to see anything else but you are the space in which those thoughts and feelings are appearing and you have a choice on whether or not you follow them through and you allow them to become an action, they are optional. They are not what you are. That is not 
your thought. And if you think it is, go looking for where the thinker is. Go looking for the little you that's on a keyboard typing up those thoughts. You will not find it because those thoughts are not you. You are the space in which they appear. And it your life is defined by whether or not you can create the space to more deliberately choose which ones of those you sort of bring out into the world and enact. I don't think I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I would have understood that. At <laughs> school age. I don't, yeah. I don't think many of us would. And I think that's the beauty of it, isn't it? Of our journey. Yeah. But um, Andrew, I can't think of a better way to wrap up this podcast. Um, there are so many amazing takeaways for myself, Celeste, and for all of our listeners as well. So really, really, thank you so much. We might have to get you back on because you were fantastic and we've got more questions. So we might I would have love to. to. I would absolutely love to. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so yeah. much. Thank you. Love that. And I was actually just thinking, what I'll do is I'll test it. I'm going to take that section of the um, the audio and play it to my students and ask them what they think. I literally am going to do that. Oh, I would have been um, I would have been less airy fairy if I'd known that. I would have been a little <laughs> bit more um, sort of concise and less self congratulating and sort of florid with my language. <laughs> it's perfect. It's perfect. They'll love it. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, guys. Um, Andrew, just before we leave, I wanted to um, just ask, where can people find you? Um, I get, oh, Not I'm, literally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, was, I was looking around thinking, should I just give out my postcode on a, on a podcast? Um, yeah, um, I, on, on Instagram mainly, that's the shop front, isn't it? I'm theandrew.tracy at, uh, no, uh, on Instagram. Um and you can find my, you know, some some sort of heavily edited versions of my musings every month in in men's health, but mainly, uh, mainly Instagram. And you can, you know, you can find everything from there. Okay, amazing. Thank, Thank you so you. much, Andrew. Thank you. Thank Bye. you, guys. Cheers. Bye. Hey everybody, on behalf of Sarah and I just want to once again thank you for tuning in, listening to the podcast. Um, as always, we massively appreciate your support and would just love it if you could share and rate the podcast. Thank you very much. Bye.